If you're ready to take action to create the life and business you want and be surrounded by courageous, like-minded warriors, entrepreneurs, creatives, and professional freelancers supporting each other and feeling the fear and doing it anyway, I invite you to join my free online community, Momentum Warriors. Just head over to www.momentumwarriors.com now. You're listening to Transitions Podcast. Learn how to make money doing what you love, become more confident, create a positive impact, and have the lifestyle that you want with marketing consultant and small business advisor, Anthony Chansamuth. All right, guys, welcome to Transitions Podcast. This is Anthony Chansamuth, and I have with me Mr. Logan Elliott all the way from New Zealand. I don't know if you're still there, though. Where are you right now? <laughs> I'm actually in Christchurch at the moment. There you go. You are in New Zealand. Okay, so Christchurch. Um, so Logan is a director of creative a creative entertainment company. Uh, you've got fire dancers, circus, stilt walkers. Um, you do corporate entertainment, community sporting, and private events. Um, and you're also working on something called Entrepreneurs Adventures. And we'll get into that in a moment. So welcome to the show, Logan. It's absolutely fantastic to be here. Cool. Now, the reason I wanted to get you on here, apart from the fact that you play with fire, is because you're just doing some really cool things. And this this podcast really is all about helping creative individuals uh, take their passions and turn it into a career. Uh, and that could be, you know, whether they work for an organization that just resonates uh, or they go and create their own thing whether it's a business, a project, a social mission, whatever it may be, community, right? Who knows? But it's really all about how do you take those steps and how do you uh, – and I wanted to really bring on people who have done that in their life in some way. Now, you're 28, which I love, so you've done a lot in the 28 years you've been on the planet. And let's get into that. How did you – let's start with did you, go, did you grow up in Christchurch? What was your – like when you were a kid? Let's tell that story. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, so I grew up on a farm, so a very small hobby farm just out of Christchurch. And I had a early passion for science, obviously sort of, you know, having that, that farming background. But I also had these kind of brief encounters with business from a very young age. So everything from, uh, you know, having having chickens, you know, and trying to sell, sell the eggs for a bit of money to picking up pine cones and selling them down at the local market. So I had a few uh, early encounters with business very early on. So I had a uh, yeah, really awesome upbringing in Christchurch. So what are the uh, this is really cool. I love that that you come from a farm community. Um, what sort of lessons did you learn very young? So what was you talked about you had you had some early experiences with business. Um, what can you think of specific moments like was that, you know, um, cuz your 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 father or your you know your your family were uh, exchanging chickens on the farm or, or or cattle or something or what what was that? Did they were you, you know, selling I, I know I've met some people who they were selling um, you know, common story but uh, still interesting that they sell lemons, you know, the lemonade stand yep. was the first experience. So what was it for you? Yeah, I think early on it was uh, probably around the chickens and also lambs. So we, 
you know, had a few chickens on the farm and we had a few extra eggs and I was kind of like, oh, I could sell these. That's a, a, an all right way to make some uh, some spare, spare money, you know, have, have some money for lollies down the road. And, and as well as that, I had a few pet lambs on the farm. So, you know, and at the end of the, the year, uh, Dad would sell the lambs and I would get the money. And I thought, oh, this is, this is all right. <laughs> uh, and it was quite funny. I sort of realized at some point that, well, if I held on to the lambs, I would get uh, a bit of recurring revenue from the wall every year. So I sort of oh. some, some really interesting early lessons there around, well, you know, you can sell your sell what you've got now and, you know, get the money, get the 50 bucks for the lamb or you can keep it and for the next sort of eight years you'll be getting, you know, 30 bucks a year. So that sort of that reoccurring revenue idea sort of came out. And I think it was also just those, those early lessons around business where I didn't actually realize I was running a business or, you know, it wasn't running a business, but I didn't realize what I was doing was that. I was just being a kid and growing up and getting on with it. And I think there's a lot there to be learned about with, you know, entrepreneurship and business, particularly for creatives. I it's love just about that. doing what you love. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And that's the thing that sort of struck me when you when you sent your info to me and you said, you know, you really wanted to talk about the sort of meaning and mission behind what you do. Um, yeah. and, and that's sort of the message that you resonate with. Uh, what... What were I mean? Just I'm just curious. What were you? I mean, your parents were, were both parents farmers, or was that their background, or did they actually you know work in in, in jobs before that, or what was that? So, what was the influences that you had as a as a young kid growing up on a farm? Yeah, so it's it's a pretty small farm. So it was more of a hobby farm. We didn't have it as, as a huge operation. Mum and dad both uh, had jobs. So mum um, uh, was a teacher, and dad was an air traffic controller. Um, and both of them, you know, were involved in uh, you know organising events and, and a bit of art stuff as well. So there's been some you know things that have been passed on from there as well. But the the farm was sort of run as a hobby business. Fantastic. Now you. Did mention a bit of the, the the creative side of what your father was doing. So, how did um, did you grow up around these? What kind of events were they? Uh, so, I mean, Dad, Dad was very involved in running, you know, the the local skiing competitions and events, through to you know organising boat days. So, a lot of it was stuff through his work. And so, there was kind of that. I think that's potentially where some of that passion for event management myself might have come through. So, he's always been pretty actively organised organising things. That's amazing. Um, did you did you go to uh, what was your schooling like? Did you go to traditional school? Did you go to university, college? Did you drop out? What was the story there? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, probably a pretty standard story. I um, yeah went to so I, I started school here in Christchurch, and then I went to Otago University down in Dunedin, and uh, I spent four years studying science because I was interested in biology and chemistry and physics. So I thought, hey, that looks like fun. So I ended up doing the um, an, a degree in molecular biotechnology, <laughs> lots of genetics and biochemistry. Um, so it's sort of very far from what I'm doing at the moment. People kind of look at me when I say that and go, what, what, you're a scientist? And that was sort of the, the early stage. But what really happened was while I was at university, I ended up getting involved in lots of other stuff. So lots of hobbies. I ended up picking up playing with fire and stilt walking as a very random hobby. And I ended up running events for science students sort of on the side of my studies. So I was sort of one of those science students that was in and out of the lab a lot, um, organizing stuff and, and doing a million things and trying to persuade people to attend events and do things like that. And after my science degree, I wanted to learn a little bit more about business. And I kept on coming across these interesting people that were involved in lots of stuff and projects. And I found out they were studying this entrepreneurship master's degree. And I thought, that just is the most ridiculous thing I've 
third, you know, an entrepreneurship masters. What is, you know, you, what is that? And uh, really it was about bringing together a bunch of interesting people, putting them in a room or trying to keep them in a room and teach them some stuff over a couple of years. So I thought, oh, that sounds like fun and I did it. And that was um, sort of what led me towards creating Highly Flammable. So very early on in the, in the business studies, I realized, wow, actually I really like the idea of taking this performing hobby events stuff that I was really passionate about and actually creating a business around it. And it was a real eureka moment that, that day. Uh, I, I love a couple of things that you've said so far in, in, in the sense of first you have a keen interest in science from a very young age and then you study science at, at university and then you, whilst you're studying science, you're out there playing with fire um, and, and <laughs> you know doing some really interesting creative pursuits and then also obviously connecting to different types of people, um, probably more of those who are uh, more extroverted. Or maybe not. I, I know fire, fire, uh, fire, people who play with fire who are really high introverts, but just for a way for them to connect to their creativity. Would, would you would you classify yourself as one or the other, you know, introvert or extrovert, or have you sort of changed over the years? Is it what's been your personal journey? Um, I mean, my personal journey is that I sit in the middle in terms of I've got both sides of that. If you talk to anyone I know, they'd probably say I'm an extrovert. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of where I I believe I sit on it in terms of, hey, I really enjoy having my own space and my own time at times as well as getting out there and spending a lot of time with people. Now, you launched Highly Flammable in 2010, so that was six years ago. Tell me about that initial experience like when you kind of did you do it on your own or was it with a group of people or and how did it did you how did when did it in your mind become an actual business mm, I love I love this question it was a, it was a pretty crazy time period so I was still doing my masters and I literally had a bit of a eureka moment while, while I was driving my car because I needed to do a project for the masters and I kind of went wait a minute there's an opportunity to do something more with this hobby thing. I could I could take it New Zealand wide. I could take it overseas. I could do all these things. And it kind of just went from there. So my journey of starting it was, you know, it was a, a hobby early on. And then I saw an opportunity to turn that hobby into a business. So that was a pretty clear distinction for me, which was I then went through a process. It took me about six months to work out how to actually start a business but I really surrounded myself with like-minded people. So obviously I was in this entrepreneurship masters anyway, so I had a lot of very encouraging people around. And I started seeking out a lot of mentors as well. And and also right at the start there, you know, there was other people that had been involved in the hobby and I also had a co-founder as well. And yeah, it was the early stages of the business were a real whirlwind because I didn't actually know that much about business. I was doing an entrepreneurship masters, but there was a lot of gaps in, okay, how do you actually do this? How do I actually pay people? How do I promote this stuff? How do I do all those things? So yeah, it was a business from, from, you know, that stage, but it certainly took a while to get, to get rolling. There's there's an interest, interesting statement you made there about the gaps between the academic ap, ap, academic theory of entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and then the application of it when you're actually dealing with uh, invoicing and your, your taxation and you got your bookkeeping <laughs> and you got your building a team and your leadership and you got marketing and sales and everything else that comes with with a business. Yep. Um, so what was sort of what were the clear you know learnings you had around? Hey, I'm doing this master but you know this is not 
reading and, and case studies and doing things around you know what a business is versus going out there and doing it what were the things that you had to learn you know and you could only learn by doing the business yeah there, I mean there was a lot and, and people have sort of said to me since you know what was the value of doing the masters um, and there's a whole conversation there of that you know the value was actually the people around us the people we're connected to the network the mindset and that the actual theory was a small part of it but, but yeah, there was definitely um, the theory side was very different from the practical side. So, yeah, it was around having to figure out how to do a lot of that, you know, payroll, accounting stuff. I'd already been doing a bit of sort of marketing and promotion and sales stuff with it as a hobby anyway. But a lot of it was just trying to work out the administrative side of, of running a business. And interestingly enough, sort of after doing the Masters, I was, um, it was a bit of a side story, but I was... Uh, invited back to speak at the Masters and mm. tell the journey a year later after, you know, I'd been running my own business for a year out of uni now and, and how that experience gone and what, it, you know, what feedback did I have. And I did that and told the this, this story and, and all that. And then I said to the, um, the people involved in the, running the program afterwards, I said, look, you know, this, this Masters is fantastic, but there's some really big stuff missing in it. There's some stuff around actually what do you need to start? What are the current tools out there? What are the online tools? How do I use them? And you need to be teaching that stuff. And they kind of went, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But how are we going to be able to do that? Because, you know, we're more on the academic side. Mm. Um, I, you know, sort of said, oh, well, you know, I, I just think it's really important. They said, cool, do you want to come and teach it? Do you want to set up that part of the program? So I did. And it's, you know, as a side thing, I've actually been lecturing entrepreneurship for the last five years as well, which has led me down, you know, into my next projects as well. So it's been quite fascinating just seeing that whole balance of the academic and the practical side of a master's because for it to be a university master's, there has to be a lot of this sort of academic rigor. But at the same time, the people doing it want to start businesses. You know, they actually are really passionate and excited. So, you know, there was a, there is a real battle of trying to keep those people engaged and in the classroom um, as well, which, which I think is pretty cool. I I love that. I love that you kind of, you went back, I mean, they invited you back and then you had that talk and then you, um, you know, clearly articulated, well, there is a gap here. And then now that you're teaching it, you're the lecturer that I wish I had when I was back <laughs> at university, you know, learning about business because I did a business, um, I did a, a bachelor degree, um, but mm. really it was, it was really dry and, and it didn't excite me the way that, you know, uh, that, that I do now when I talk about marketing with creative entrepreneurs, right? It, it's a very different thing, but I, I uh, as you say, there is a value in academic study, um, certainly in the networks and, and certainly in just learning your own, you know, learning to critical, I mean, that critical thinking process that, that you've, you've, you know, applied um, is really important. So, Let's talk about highly flammable. So, what is the business? It's, I mean, what, what, you know, what does it do? Who does it serve? Yeah, yeah. So, we, it's a creative, it's a creative entertainment company. So, we provide mainly the events industry with unique entertainment at their their events. So, um, as I think you mentioned earlier, we do a lot of sporting events. So, that could be anything from you know a, a rugby game, an AFL game, cricket. Um, having stilt walkers um, at the entrance to the game, perhaps with a giant cricket bat for the rug, for the cricket rather. And we also provide atmosphere and excitement for corporate events. So anything from gala dinners, uh, we might have some fire dances on the entrance as people arrive. And then we do a lot of stuff around community events. So 
roving characters, still walkers, statues, jugglers, fire. So it's really adding something memorable, exciting and special to events. So it's something that makes people smile. And we've built up a team New Zealand-wide to do that. So we have 80 casual staff who become these characters. And inside Highly Flammable, there's this whole confidence-building, team-building atmosphere within our own team as well. And that's part of the big mission too. So it's a very multifaceted company. Um, And it's quite interesting. We... We actually offer all of these things in-house. So we're not an agency. We don't just kind of sell, you know, Harry the Stiltwalker. We sell the idea of a Stiltwalker and then we have 80 people to become that character. So it's been a really interesting and fun business to build. Um, and we've now taken it New Zealand-wide. So, we, you know, we do events everywhere all the time. So keeps us fairly busy. <laughs> I would imagine so. So you guys started with two people back in 2010. Um, how large? You mentioned there are potentially 80 people you work with. Um, yep. what, what's, what's the actual core team that, that's the engine behind this? Yeah, that, that, I, I think that's quite the, the really fascinating thing about it. There's no one involved in Highly Flammable that actually works full-time on it, which is actually really cool because it, it is, for everyone involved, it is a creative passion that, yeah, they get paid for a bit on the side. So a lot of the people involved in Highly Flammable are studying or they're working nine-to-five jobs, and this is something they do in their spare time or on the weekends. So the way we've set it up is that people can pursue their other lives but be involved in this amazing thing. So in terms of the core team, you know, there's a team of 10 part-timers spending, you know, up to five hours on it per week. So we're not a huge organization. You know, I say, oh, you know, we've got 80 casual employees, but that's a casual team that's on a sort of needed basis. So normally we're doing anything from one to maybe 10 events per week. Mm. Um, less less over the winter period, more over summer. And those events might, you know, there might be a corporate dinner that's that's hired us to be there to provide some entertainment. And that could be hiring, you know, two characters or it could be up to 30. So we, we've had, you know, 30 performers at some events. So it, it needs to be able to move and scale. And there's been a whole big business learning around that stuff as well. It's been a journey. <laughs> okay. Oh, I can only imagine that. So I'm sitting here going... How does this guy make money? So what what is what is you know? Can you give us a bit of insight into that? So where is for you um, being the entrepreneur? Um, where is the revenue stream, and, and and how do you pay yourself a wage? Yeah, so we effectively people hire us to provide entertainment events. So we've we've almost got a, a productized service. So you could actually say, hey, I'm running a, a launch event. Um, I'm after something a bit different so people will remember the event and, and enjoy it. So, um, you know, I'd like a couple of still walkers at the event and we'll say, cool, this is how much, you know, we charge per hour for still walkers. So our income is basically, a, it's a hireage model. So people will spend anything from $500 up to $20,000 on us in an event. And then we obviously deliver that through employing our team members. We have a big costume wardrobe full of costume and equipment and and crazy characters. And then we'll have a team on the day that will execute that. So I used to be part, I used to be full-time. I've spent, you know, the last, most of the last five years, six years being full-time and getting paid full-time on this. And then only sort of in the last year, I've been cutting it back because I'm spending more time on this, this second venture. All right. So there's a transition going on here, um, uh, uh, which is really cool. And uh, I can relate to that because I've been in a simpler, similar journey myself. Uh, so what uh, I guess for someone who's listening to this sort of they're in the early days and, and yep. maybe they're, they're thinking about, 
oh, you know, I, I'm maybe working at the art shop and, and I'm, I'm earning a wage and that pays my rent and, and you know, it's good for my girlfriend and whatever else. How do I then take my creativity and turn it into something like Logan has? What what would be, having done what you've done over the past, you know, six, seven years, what would be the, the sort of first initial steps or advice you would give to someone in that situation? Yeah, so I, I, a few different things. So one of them is the whole target market and validation stuff. So I kind of push people into like, hey, just come up with an idea. Don't get too tied up on what the idea is, but just get it out there and talk to as many people as you can about this idea and get some feedback on it. And, you know, even that, if that involves just going out for coffees, creating surveys around that and just really understanding what people's pains are. I think one of the things we do as creatives is we tend to get excited about an idea without really digging deep into the problem that it's going to solve. I, I talk about it as, you know, the pain that it's going to solve and that any idea should be targeting a real problem. So that's that's sort of what I say to people is, you know, they need to think about that the problem side as well. Okay, can and we think, can we yeah. uh, contextualize that, Logan? Because um, yep. let's say you with fire walking, okay, yep. what's the problem you're solving? And how did you arrive to this is the problem we're, we're solving? So early on, one of the inspirations for doing this sort of stuff was that university um, formal events or, you know, universe, the, the, the commerce ball or university social events were really boring. They just put all this money on the bar and everybody got <laughs> drunk, you know, and it was like, how can we make these events more interesting and unique and actually stand out and have a night that people are going to enjoy and remember? So the pain we're actually solving there was about providing something interesting to an event and we were also doing it in a really easy, manageable way. So because you think fire dances, most event organizers go, oh, my God, I don't want to burn the building down. So, you know, part of that pain is, you know, having something really unique and interesting but done in a safe, professional, managed way. So what we are really selling to clients is professional, interesting entertainment. Most of our clients don't even see what we do on the day. They just hear the feedback from their, from their guests because they're too busy running around the event. They don't want to have to worry about us. So there's been a whole understanding of, of the value we offer, it, which is around the management and the professionalism and the safety side as well. I love that. So, yeah, that, that's so – That's see, when you, when you put it that way, it just makes sense, mm. right? Now, I would put to anyone listening to this call that, that you didn't just wake up with that, you know, when you're doing – like it didn't just come – I don't know, maybe it did just come to you. But, no. but you, th there's a validation process that needed to happen and then you probably started to branch out and then look at different types of organizations and what their needs were because you're doing conferences now and you're, and you're doing sporting events and they're two different types of organizations. Mm -hmm. um, and then you also talk about charity events. So how did you uh, – um, how much time did you spend on this validation and, and talking to, you know, uh, potential clients and then getting feedback from existing clients? Like how much of your business process is this validation piece? So it's something that I've got a lot better at. I think in the early days it was, I was sort of making it up as I went. I, I kind of wish I knew a lot of this stuff back then, but it really was meeting people who had some need and trying to understand that, so asking them just lots of questions. You know, what are your needs for this event? What are the gaps? You know, what's missing? What would you love to see? And actually then building the products around that. So it's, it's something that has just been ongoing throughout this business because the, the type of stuff we do is so unique that people aren't actually used to it. Mm. So there's been quite a journey around that in terms of we haven't 
just had to understand the need. We've actually got to help educate our clients as well because a lot of our clients haven't had still walkers or fire dancers at their event and they kind of go, oh, well, it's not a cir- I'm not running a circus here. Why would I have that stuff? And actually when you start to connect that with, well, you know, what are your needs around this in terms of making it memorable, bringing people back next year and then fitting that in, they kind of go, oh, yeah, actually it would be really cool to have something like that. <laughs> That's it just made me, I mean, I'm having a bit of a giggle here because for me, it reminds me of, say, a friend of mine who's an artist, um, portrait and a landscape painter, um, yeah. and he's saying, well, what's the actual problem? Because, like, everyone, there's a, there's a stack of artists out there. There's a stack of creative people, you know, like what's, what is the actual problem that art solves? What's the pain that, that, that a portrait, you know, image solves or a, or a photograph solves or, you know, in your case, you know, um, theater performance or, or uh, you know, creative fire work or whatever it may be, right? So, um, and what you've sort of hit the nail on in just sharing that, Logan, what, what I'm hearing anyway is that you first identified with the, the potential customer what their challenges were and what, what they were trying to create and then you then came in with, okay, well, here's possible ways that we can do that. Um, Whereas what I see with a lot of creatives is it's the other way around. It's like I produce this type of work and then I'm now I'm trying to sell it to somebody. Yeah. yeah. How could, you know, what would be, uh, it, it, I guess, what needs to happen yeah. to, to get that mindset shift? Because that's actually what you're talking about here. It is. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of it, for me, a lot of art is about the story behind it as well, which I think is really interesting in the story that, you know, the, the process involved. So, you know, these clients do actually want to understand what's behind the performing and the stuff we're doing. So they actually quite enjoy hearing about the the talent involved or the characters involved, the the idea of the characters. So it's more than just straight making people smile. It's actually, you know, what is the story behind them? And I was just thinking about that with your painter friend. Like that's, people are, in a way, they're paying for a story. They want to be sold a story or a feeling. And that's sort of what art is. It's you know, it's happiness, it's people being inspired. Yeah, so I think I'm probably rambling on a bit, but it's just, yeah, that's sort of how I feel about about that. So that's, that's a, yeah, it's a very valuable point you raised because the next question that, that I had for you was how do you, how do you convey that story, that element of, you know, what's behind what people see? How do you do that online? How do you do it with your, your marketing? How do you do it, you know, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or, you know, um, whatever platform you're using, your website, your, your business cards, whatever it may be, how do you do that and not commoditize what you do? Yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying and I think it is about vulnerability. It's that as creatives, as artists, we really want to present the best thing possible. We want to present perfection, which is what we're always chasing. However, the irony of that is that the story behind getting there is so valuable. So in terms of perhaps being that painter, maybe he only would ever post online his end result, his end product, because as creators, we don't want to show anything less. However, flipping that on its head and going, well, what about the process? What about what about the process behind the creative side? You know, where, do, where does the inspiration come from? What about telling some of that story? And I think that's where some of the real magic happens and the real value that can be found in something because it's, yeah, that's, that's where a huge amount of the value is. It's the story and how people understand that and see that in the art piece. 
And we as humans tend to engage and naturally engage with storytelling ever since the day of the cave people and them putting hieroglyphics on a wall and us going, well, what does that mean? So I love that that contextualization and, and coming back to the initial, you know, premise for this conversation around meaning and mission behind what you do. Yeah. So how do you, um, or, or what's been your process or how do you help other entrepreneurs or creatives um, are, really understand what the meaning of their work is and, and what is the mission behind what they do? What are sort of practical steps they can take? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, one of the areas I start with is generally I'm starting with people who have sort of got an idea or a skill already. So they're like, hey, I'm a musician. I've had this career um, I've now got all these skills and these learnings or I'm a, a, a creative of some sort. I've got an idea around that. Maybe it's to support a community. A lot of it's around education, of course, um, and, and, and helping the next next wave of creatives. Um, but I really get them to break that into three areas. So the first one is what are those the skills that you have that are going to contribute to that and trying to understand what is the unique features of those skills. So often you'll see these interesting skills blending. So you'll have someone that's I can't think of an example right now, but maybe mine was that, yes, I was on, um, I grew up on a farm, but I studied science, but then I got involved in performance. And that gave me a really unique skill set that I brought to Highly Flammable. Yeah. So that was sort of one area, looking at those skills. Well, an example that came to my head when you said that was Lady Gaga going from, she's she's studied legal, but she has fashion in her music and she combines music, pop music together, um, pop music and then fashion um, and really avant-garde out there kind of fashion um, and then there's this women's empowerment thing going on for her as well so there's different elements that come into the story absolutely and it's those unique skills and how they blend that you make you and your business quite different unique so you know unique selling proposition people talk about the the other part of the the sort of the triangle is really understanding obviously what, you know, what i said before is the need the pain the problems that, that are out there um, within a market and usually it's within a, a group a target market or a group of people that you're inspired to help so you're, you're you know you're excited about helping this particular group of people and then you need to understand what are the problems and needs around that now a lot of people tend to build a business based on those two things is going hey here's a problem I've got the skill set I can create a business around that and they end up building their own nine to five job which eventually they shut down because they're bored of it mm. the thing I love about uh, creatives is a very general term, but you know, creatives, artistic types, is that they tend to bring in the third level, which is the real, the passion, the meaning, the mission behind it. So it's that that real. Often it starts off as a bit of a hobby because it's something that they like to do in their spare time. They like to do it for fun. So it's like, what's that third element? What's the thing that, when this business gets tough, what's the thing that's still going to get me out of bed in the morning? and keep driving it because I know that what I'm trying to achieve is something that I'm super passionate about. It means something. It's, it's helping people. So it's, that, it's the, the passion and the drive behind it. So it's understanding an idea and going, looking at it from those three areas. Well, obviously, the idea will probably morph as you discover those things. But as you'll keep coming back to those things throughout your journey as an entrepreneur or as, as you know, entrepreneur is not the right word, as as a as a creative trying mm. to to think, you know, I've got I've got views on the word of entrepreneurship, and I can, you know, I've actually changed the organisation name that I'm working under away from that recently because of that, because creatives often don't see themselves as entrepreneurs, which is I think quite fascinating. 
even though they are. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that. I'm like, well, uh, if you're working for yourself, but it, it's a yep. good distinction because you're saying, you know, you can create a job for yourself and hate it because you can actually be there doing 60 hours a week when you could just go work for someone else and get paid for 40 hours a week and get paid yep. more, right? Okay. Um, yep. You know, but then you, you tie it in and I love that you brought in this third component, which is, well, what is the passion beneath that? What's the meaning um, and the mission? Do you have a message that you want the world to know is it something that you struggled with and now uh, the question that came that came to my head when you said that logan was um uh, about identifying a problem for a, 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 an audience or a problem for you know a pain point for just that that helps that your skills your, your specific unique talents and abilities help solve how do you what i've seen is artists trying to help other artists that can't pay them yeah. Right. Uh, and this is just an example. It's not just limited to artists. I'm, I'm also talking about the, the, the charity world and the, the nonprofit world where it's this whole, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not an ideal scenario where your audience that you're trying to help, it's not, in the sense that they're not actually your target clients. Um, they're, they're, they're the ones your, your, your business or your project, uh, helps improve so you might you know do some sustainability work you might uh, empower you know people in, in, a, in a low economic social area um, you may help a group of, of artists and creatives you know live their passion and that's beautiful I love it the piece for me that's missing and I challenge a lot of my clients on is but they're not the ones who are going to pay you for that exactly. right so then you need to find out this who is that person and 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 how do you do that see so for me when i look at uh, i'm use lady gaga or any of these big name musicians as an example is the audience is not you know uh, amanda palmer is one i've been i've been reading her book yeah. listening to a podcast so she has this whole thing right now and about her living her life, you know, dare to ask, um, putting herself out there and some of these themes that have come up in what you've shared. Um, and, and so in that, by doing that and putting out the book and the TED Talk and all that, she's helping a whole bunch of creatives, right, who, who can yep. resonate with the struggle. But her clients are not the creatives. Her clients are, you know, whether it's the record labels or the, you know, the media channels or or for the people who buy her records, right? So uh, I guess my, the point I'm trying to make is the audience that, that we first think that it may be might not always be the case. And maybe that, that comes back to your point of you need to validate who that is. Yeah, I, I really like your thinking behind that. And I think that comes down to um, business models and there's a lot of creative ways to create business models out there now. There's, there's so many ways to make money out of what people are doing. I mean, it's a very... It's a very basic example, but you know, it's it's not always about the, the straight selling. I mean, I think a, a supermarket, for example, makes a huge amount of money um, as being a bit of a bank mm. in terms of holding you know money for a certain amount of time from their, their suppliers. I think it's a terrible model, but you know, they don't make as much money out of selling the products as you think. They actually make money out of interest. So, so what, what I'm trying to say here is, I love the way you've described that in terms of. You know, it's where are where are you actually going to make the money? And maybe the audience that you're serving, you can still serve them. But there's other creative ways to do that. So you know, even with um, great podcasters out there who have massive audiences, you know, they're getting paid through the advertising. 
for example. That's a great example. Great example. All your YouTube celebrities who have yep. a million views and they're, or the Instagrammers who are, you know, a million followers and they're getting paid by the actual advertising companies who are trying to put their product in front of that audience. So that's the business model versus, you know, oh, I'm just a photographer. I'm going to put up some amazing shots on Instagram and yeah. then wonder why aren't I getting any business, um, you know, because it's not just about i think what the point I, I i want to extend on here is it's not when you talk about the story behind what you're doing um it's not always about the story of the medium that you're using because i know see, some of my, my, my artists will talk about um oh i'm using these lenses and i'm using you know uh this particular brush stroke and that's what's unique about the way i do it all right but that to me is that that's great for you as the artist and for other artists to to we can definitely relate to that but the the person who's buying the work at the end of the day they probably don't care so much about that unless unless they're an art expert and that's what they do but yeah so 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 that story piece that you're talking about and and i love that you talk about the meaning because the the, the, that's where we resonate on on a human level yeah I, i mean i think what you've caught on there is that yeah the story also has to be relevant to that target market so yeah it's telling the right story as well and maybe tweaking that story in a certain direction love it now tell me about this second company that you're transitioning into what's this all about and 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 how how, when did you decide this is what you wanted to do and 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 where are you with that journey totally so about probably 18 months ago um I sort of recognized that with Highly Flammable, we were set up New Zealand-wide. We'd set up in multiple centers. I'd you know, launched it multiple times in different cities. And I'd kind of reached the end of that launching phase. Um, and we had a great team involved. And we, you know, we were still growing as a business. But I was kind of now going, where's the big next big challenge for me? So I was kind of like, cool, what's next? And I did, at the time, do a lot of exploring in terms of setting up Highly Flammable overseas. I spent a lot of time in Australia as well as in Asia as well and Singapore and Hong Kong looking at, hey, could we franchise this thing? Could we create other branches? And I still really want to do that at some stage. But what I really reflected on was that I was super passionate about helping other people around, you know, using the tools of business or using business to push their lives forward and to create amazing things and, and impact the world and, and all of that stuff there. I, you know, I'd been doing this lecturing, the entrepreneurship lecturing, which I just loved and I've been a lot, doing a lot of mentoring and, and getting involved in events as, as you do when you're running your own business. And I just love that stuff. And I was like, actually, I want to do more of this. So I sort of, I guess, threw a few ideas around and just saw what stuck. And I ended up setting up this thing called Entrepreneur's Adventures, which really was just a, an idea around helping people with entrepreneurship and business. So I was doing a bit of consulting. I was, I was running a few courses and I had a few different things I did there. I was interviewing an entrepreneur every week and sharing their story. Um, and I was on this great journey around that. And then not that long ago, only a few months ago, I basically started realizing that the people I wanted to help, very, very similar to the work you're doing, it's creatives. You know, they're the people that I enjoy spending time with. I think that creatives are people who have made life decisions towards their passions and that they would like to pursue their their passions, their creative passions full time and that I'm in a position where I can help that. I've also got a creative story behind me with Highly Flammable. And that was then when I went on this big journey around going, wow, actually creatives aren't even liking this name Entrepreneur's Adventures. They're not connecting to it. They were like, well, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a creative. I'm a designer. I'm a mm. performer. 
I'm not an entrepreneur. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you're, you're selling stuff. You're performing. You're getting paid to do stuff. You're creating a business. You've got a, you've got a business registered or, or unregistered or whatever. And they were kind of like, yeah, no, no. But I'm, and it was just really interesting seeing that. So more recently, a few weeks ago, I changed the name to Lifetime Creative. Love it. And, and, and this is how myself and you ended up connecting because I was like, wow, I need to connect with more people who share this, this vision as well. So it's, it's been really cool connecting to you and, and understanding your angles on, on all this stuff too. I think it's really cool. Oh, it's so good. I, I, I love the, the rename of that because that's just – the importance here is, is using the language that the people you're trying to serve will use for themselves and, yeah. and not trying to sell them on this idea that, hey, you guys are actually entrepreneurs because <laughs> I've come across the same roadblocks in terms of that, that, that sort of mindset. Yeah. So I can totally relate to that conversation, you know, uh, and, 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 and that's the thing. But there are 7 billion people on the planet. So, you know, some people will call themselves creative entrepreneurs, some won't. Um, yeah. Some are going to call themselves lifetime creatives because that's what they want to do. Uh, yeah. And you find what works for you. And I like, I love that you're doing that. And I completely resonate with what you're doing. All right. Well, we're going to pretty much, we're going to wrap up very quickly, but that's okay. So we were talking about lifetime creative. Yep. Is that what, is that, is that lifetime creative? Is that what it is? Absolutely. Yep. Okay, cool. So what, uh, a question I had for you was now, you, now that there's two different businesses that you've worked on and working on, for anyone listening to this call, what's one strategy that's really worked for you for getting that first big client? I use my network that I've already created. So a really interesting thing with starting the second business was I went out to everyone involved in my first business and looked for the people that needed help. So my first clients for Lifetime Creative were actually some of my own team within Highly Flammable because I understood them, their needs um, and I actually created the first courses around their needs. So I actually really leverage that. And then even where I'm at now is I'm leveraging my network. So everyone's got a network and a community that they're a part of that they can use, talk to, understand their needs. So that's a, a huge tip. You know, we've all got a resource of helpful, supportive people around us. How do you make the ask? Because I know this one comes up, this is relates to what you said earlier about putting yourself out there and, and really, um, and I, I see this as a resistance for a lot of people, is how do you go from, hey, we're friends, you're in my network, to become a client? What's the, you know, what's your process or is there any insight you can give around that? I think part of it is, is always going back to the pains and understanding what is those specific pains that you're going through and then crafting the, as, as well as the actual the sales letter or the proposal, whatever you're doing, it's actually the product, crafting a product that they're just going to love. So the whole selling thing becomes very natural when you're selling something that they really need in their life and that when you put it out there, you, you will actually find people will come to you. So I, early on in Lifetime Creative, I did. I went to these people and said, hey, I'm thinking of creating something around this. Here's you know, what I'm sort of thinking, but hey, what are your pains? What are your needs? What would you like me to help you with? And they just came flooding back with all the stuff and then I basically created it and I said, here it is. Here's how much it is. You're my first client, so I want, I'm still testing it. I'll you know, obviously give you a bit of a discount. And they were just like, yes, absolutely, I want to do it ASAP. When can we start? That's really cool. How do you, how do you d deal with pricing? Like, like how do you go from, you know, this, this is the value of the thing that I'm, or the, the, the solution that I'm, I'm offering you to help you with your pain point? 
Yeah. I think, I mean, I think pricing, is, as we know, is a, is a huge topic and area. But one of the big things I always learned uh, many years ago was to price things based on what, you know, people can withstand. So some people approach pricing, they go, cool, you know, a cup of coffee costs, you know, 50 cents to make, so we're going to mark it up by 50 cents. And actually cups of coffee don't sell for a dollar, they sell for, you know, $4, $5, $6. And that's because that's what people can withstand and that's the, the value, the return they're happy to, to do. So, hey, all, all I'm saying there is sometimes it's a bit of trial and error and we had that with Highly Flammable. We just put prices out there and saw what happened we sold some things a bit too cheaply or too expensive and it was a trial and error thing. So, yeah, it's a whole subject of pricing. <laughs> some thoughts around that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really cool because um, I would imagine that particularly with, with tenders and proposals that you sometimes they knock back, someone knocks back an offer and but that's not the end of the conversation. I think that's where a lot of people give up. They make the mistake of, oh, it's a no. Um, therefore, my thing is, uh, and this, uh, this we can completely jump into a whole different conversation here around self-value and, yeah. um, you know, what is my art and my creativity worth and detaching, you know, there's one thing that I, I, I harp on about like a broken record is, you know, you and your service are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and your solution to someone's problem is not the same thing. If someone's saying no to what you're offering them, it's not them saying you like, hey, Logan, you're a terrible human being. Mm-hmm. That's not what it is. And, and I think that's where we can get really personal and, and take offense. Um, yeah. And it's like, no, it's not. It's just that, you know, and I actually relate this to the dating scene um, when, you know, you might just be, asking a girl out or a guy out and it's like they're not rejecting you necessarily on you it just might be a bad time yeah you know and you come back later on we're in a better mood and hey yeah sure i'll go for coffee so it kind of it kind of just depends on certain variables and and, you, and unfortunately you can't control all of those variables people so. have complicated lives <laughs> <laughs> a lot going on that you never know about love it love it cool all right so um we could continue talking for hours and what i would suggest is we probably catch up later on and and do, do a second version of this um yeah. so and maybe when you do your own thing. Um, I'd be happy to jump on on your stuff and, and have a chat there. Um, so, Logan, how do people connect with you and, and, and find out more about your mission and all the great work that you're doing? Yep. So, it's just www.lifetimecreative.co is the website. Um, and then, of course, we've got Highly Flammable um, New Zealand. So, that's highlyflammable.co.nz. They'll be able to find me on that too. I'm, I'm still spending uh, probably about 50% of my time on Highly Flammable as well, keeping that crazy thing running and, and growing and and being amazing. I really love that. Are you still doing the lecturing gig at the university? I am. It's uh, it's only a few times a year, but loads of fun. I was just down there in February, um, down in Dunedin, um, and did a whole bunch of stuff on remote working down there as well. So this is sort of another passion of mine, which is being able to run these businesses as I travel the world. I think we've just got our next topic. Uh, Love it. (laughs) Love it. All right, mate. Really appreciate your time. And uh, for those of you listening on the call here, uh, check out the show notes for all the links. I'll put them there. Uh, And definitely connect with Logan at lifetimecreative.co or highlyflammable.co.nz and find out what amazing stuff is going on over there with the with the just the great creativity and the creative support that logan's offering so thanks again logan for your time you are an inspiration and final question yep after it's all said and done what do you want to be remembered for (laughs) oh that's a tough one that i've been asked too many times recently i 
we're just, I just really want to help other people to actually find meaning and be able to do the things they're passionate about in their own lives. That's kind of my passion really is, is seeing other people flourish and not just at the end of their lives go, oh, well, I could have done better. It's actually going, no, I had these crazy ideas, these crazy dreams, and I had a fair crack at it. And look at the amazing things I did along the way. So it's, yeah, that's sort of my purpose and passion there. And uh, it's showing in the way you live your life, my friend. So good on you. Well done. And if I could add one thing to that, it's we, you know, my belief is we only have one life or one go uh, yep. of this current version of life. I'm not going to go into the, the afterlife and all that. Um, yep. So, yeah, give it your best shot and, and don't let people talk you out of doing what you're here to do and have fun. You know? Absolutely. Um, all right, my friend. So uh, thank you again. Everyone else, hit subscribe. Subscribe to me. Subscribe to Logan. Um, and definitely share this conversation if you feel that this has been helpful to you and to other uh, creatives and entrepreneurs who, who might um, get something out of it. So thanks again, Logan, and we'll talk to you real soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in, Warrior. If you want to access the resources mentioned in this episode and connect with Logan, then head on over to www.transitionspodcast.com forward slash 010. And that's www.transitionspodcast.com forward slash 010. And you'll be able to get all the goodies that we talked about just now. And if you really enjoyed the episode and the podcast, I'd love to uh, ask for your feedback on iTunes. So if you could just click on through to iTunes and leave a review uh, and let me know how it's going and what you like about the show, that would really help us get the word out uh, to more people so we can help more creatives, more entrepreneurs do what they love and make a living doing it. Uh, so thanks again for tuning in and we will catch you on the next show. Wow.